everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Spark Your Fire. It's your host, David Shee here, and as always, I've got John Camino with me today. John, how are you, mate? Uh, very well, David. Um, really good. Yeah, how are you doing? Good. Yes, yes. It's been a hot few days in Sydney, i got to say. Scorching. Yeah, on. I think we've, hit, we've been hitting like 34 degrees, whereas when I talk to, uh, you know, the fellow people, fellow, fellow Queenslanders up there, Kind of, yeah, no, we, we're not getting that kind of temperatures. I was like, well, for the first time <laughs> Sydney is actually trumping up in Queensland for that type of, uh, yeah. That, that, yes, that. yes. It's cooled right down though. And um, I, I always think every time it gets hot in spring or summer, we always get, we always panic. And it was, it was like this, except for last year and the year before. Um, it was always hot. But, but yes, uh, it's, um, yeah, no, it's nice and yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of respite now, but um yeah, all good. All I good. Think it's, a, it's a welcome change, basically, in terms of in terms of that, um, that <clears throat> cool breeze that we have. Although, having said that, I think next week it's going to start to heat up again. So let's see. Yeah, she asked a bit like the property market, don't you think? It's uh, it goes hot and cold, <laughs> hot and cold a little bit um, to a degree that we're seeing at the moment. Waves the of the ocean. Uh, everything is a cycle. Yes, of course. Mm, mm, exactly. Exactly. Well, listeners, look, I think today we want to, um, um, we, we're a bit late in terms of the month cycles now to talk about the data. So uh, we're going to give that a miss um, this week and we're going to cut straight into our discussion topics uh, in this in this recording. So I think the key area, and this, and this topic is quite relevant when I think about it, um, we all know that a lot of investors are looking to sell or, or as a matter of fact, they're putting their properties uh, on market for sell. And um you know, John and I were talking before before coming on air, thinking, well, what would be the decision point, or what would be the what would be the thinking behind the investors on deciding which property, if they've got a portfolio, which would be the bad eggs to get rid of in the current market, right? So it was an interesting topic that we thought, <clears throat> why don't we give it a go and have a chat around it in terms of you know, putting John and David's head on, if we are to sell our own portfolio today, what would be the kind of criteria that would make us pull that, trigger that decision to say, this is the bad egg, this is the one that we should sell um, and the first one that we should get rid of. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's uh, that's what we're going to, we're going to have a chat around today. And I think, um, you know, we'll, We'll make, we'll, as always, we'll make this a bit more conversational and, and, and discussion-oriented. You know, there's obviously no right or wrong answers. It's just our opinions at the end of the day. So, but um, look, you know, I think uh, I certainly have a case study that I can share um, yeah. As, uh, yeah, for myself. Uh, I don't know about you, John, but uh, <laughs> I think most listeners who, I guess, heard of my story before would know that I have a property uh, as a matter of fact, my first off-the-plan property in Granville. Um, it was a two-bedroom, two-bathroom unit, which I bought back in about 2009, uh, brand new from a reputable developer uh, back at that time. And um, it was in Granville, as, but as a matter of fact, it was closer to Maryland. Okay, so even though the, the postcode is Granville, but, you know, it's it's a lot closer to Maryland. Um, now, <clears throat> using that as a bit of a, I guess, case study um you know I, we kind of we kind of thought that could lead to a few conclusions that we have and the first one when i thought about when i picked that one as the one that i would likely to sell first is due to the supply there's there's literally infinite supply around the area with the Parramatta council which basically you know they just approve all these high rises 
when I when I bought this unit back in 2009, there was most it was that area was still predominantly housed. You know, we only seen like low rises, maybe up to free level. Um, the whole street, you know, was was not filled with units. But now when I drive around the streets, it's all filled up with units yeah. now just over the years. So to me, that supply is the big issue. You know, if you constantly have supply, new supplies that's been proof, which means, you know, sky's the limit. Basically, you can build as much as you like and there's, and there's no limit in terms of that. That's going to put a lid on the value of the property in terms of how much it can grow in that sense. So, you know, when I when I think about that, that reduces the chance of basically having capital growth prospectus. And it also it also reduces, I guess, no, it increases the risk of vacancies moving forward as well, because you know, they're gonna just gonna keep popping out new properties. And when the, when when tenants have options um of of different uh, properties and you're going to have to reduce rent in order to attract new tenants coming in. So, so it's going to take a hit on both capital growth as well as rental perspectives, purely just because of the supply factor. So, John, what do you think about uh, supply? Have you have you got something that you can share with us or your 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 perspectives on that? Yes, supply is supply is very important. I mean, it 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 produces very lumpy lumpy returns. I mean, Paramount is the uh, the the prime example here, and Parramatta and surrounds areas for those who who know the Sydney market. Um, it, it, all this supply would come on in bursts, and it would essentially dampen particularly apartment returns for years and years and years until it you know moved up again. And so, you, rather than getting consistent, nearly linear returns of let's say four or five percent per year. You would get no returns followed by twenty percent in a in a year or two, and and that's <clears throat> that's the risk you take with uh, areas with lots of lots of supply. I mean, if you, if you're buying, I think in your example it was a fairly new apartment too, or, or off the plan. So then you've you've got uh, to contend with with those headwinds as well um, about you know with new supply. So new, supply is probably the main one of the main things I think uh, in terms of in terms of knowing if you've got the wrong area. I mean, there's a couple of different there's a couple of different ways to answer this question of when you sell. There's when uh, when do you need to sell due to your own circumstances, and we can cover we can cover this because there are always circumstances that would require you to sell. And then there's the question: How do you know when you bought a dud? Yeah. And so we should de- definitely cover that off as well. <clears throat> now, the property that you bought was probably excellent in an area with too much supply. So then there's all these. You know, you you got the right right or wrong type of property, but then the, the suburb was going through a transformation. So supply is supply is a big uh, indicator as to whether the suburb is changing. Um, so, I mean, it's probably the, the most important thing, isn't it? I actually do think it is one of the most important thing, um, and 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 one of the most uh, one of the I guess one of the thing that you can't foresee to a degree as well. Like, yeah. At that time when I bought it, I certainly wasn't expecting they're just going to continue to release and release and release like what they're doing today. Basically, mm. making it um, a, a concrete was a concrete jungle um, around around Parramatta, right? I, I certainly wasn't seeing that. And at the time, you know, when I was looking around Maryland, you know, the um, there's, there's there's dedicated bus bays um, in terms of that. So from a transport perspective, okay, well, surely they want to do something. There's Stockland Mall that's very very near the the, the shopping uh, the, the transport as well so it's got 
a lot of things that kind of ticks off, um, you know, from, from, from that investment perspective, but definitely the supply was something that I was not foreseeing. Um, and that when I look at it right now is the main killer. Yeah. But then it raises a question, John, I don't know, this might be a question for you, very impromptu. How would you be able to tell or how would you know what the future plan could be? Like if I knew this, the answer to this question today, would I make a different decision 10 years ago in buying that? Yeah. <clears throat> so, the, I mean, councils have these sorts of things. I mean, if you if you lived in Epping, you would know that all the uh, all the air, the areas about to transform North Ride as well. You you would you would know, but I mean, to some degree, we none of us can think that big. You, you can't think that North Ride is going to become sort of Silicon Valley of Australia in in fifteen years, like it, it and it's going to go from semi regional to, to 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 high rise in in fifteen years. And that, that I grew I grew up in Eastwood. That's where I grew mm. up. So mm. uh, so um. Uh, I, I don't. I, I think it's actually not possible to know long scale transformations. Let me give you another example. If you if you lived in Detroit in the United States, now Detroit was the richest city on the planet in the 1950s, and now it's one of the poorest cities in America. Mm. How do you know? How do you know that the automotive industry is going to get shipped to? Japan or China or, or Vietnam or whatever it is or Mexico in those cases how do you know uh, so some of these some of these trends are too big uh offshoring of manufacturing that it, it's it's too big to know um so you can watch you can you, you know you have to trust your eyes and you can see when things are going up um, and when apartments are being flooded into the market and I think you just have to kind of trust your own instincts on these things um to give you a, the a, an example of where the opposite is the case, where there's never any new supply, somewhere like Mossman. I mean, all the all the expensive areas, Coogee, uh, the eastern suburbs. The, these Mossman is famous for not having any uh, new new supply come on board. I mean, it, it is what it is, uh, and those are premium markets. So there's a reason that those markets are premium. And uh, uh, so supply again, we keep going. It is probably the biggest the biggest driver and you want to find uh, markets where you have uh, sort of an activist population resisting new supply coming on board. Uh, but, but, um, but you know what, you, you know, we, if, if we're going to have a, a growing population, we have to put our people somewhere. So All right. they, yeah. they have the right to live somewhere as well. Speaking of which, I think uh, obviously seeing what I know, seeing what I see or knowing what I know today, I think didn't um, Chris Mins just just announced there's going to be a you know a, a, a big um, a big focus in terms of all those um, uh, areas that's going to get developed in the next I don't know thirty years or something, um, you know, including areas like Macquarie Park, Sydney Central, Eveley. They basically base that's the idea of putting more affordable apartments into those areas so they can house more people. Probably a great example when you think about that, right? Like if you knew mm. information, would you be buying those kind of areas mm. knowing that they're going to be concentrated apartments, blocks built around those areas in order to house those new people, new immigrants coming in? Yeah, so no, I, I wouldn't want to be in any area that the government is is getting involved in. I think they have the, the opposite of the Midas touch. And that's both sides. It's not a political... Uh, I, I wouldn't want to, uh, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't want to um, uh, own that. But but that but then it comes back to a, a slightly different question. 
are the reasons compelling enough to sell? So if, you know, do you hold a dud knowing it's a dud and you just go, well, I'm just, I'm just going to get my $500 a week and, you know, it's it's not going to grow like I thought it would? Or do you actively get out and redeploy the money somewhere else? So, um, costs, and so. if it's Detroit, you sell, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm very, yeah, I, I would say definitely, um, yeah, in that. But you, you're absolutely right. I think, uh, you know, that, that leads to the next point in terms of the opportunity cost, right? Like, would mm. this capital be better deployed somewhere else? Maybe even potentially in a different asset instead of property, right? But that's to say, keep it simple in a, in a property sense. Uh, would you be able to get the same or similar return or even better return? That's the idea. Having a better return, uh, whether that's from a capital growth perspective, whether that's from a rental perspective, if you sell this property, you redeploy that. Um, so that that would definitely be an important factor as well. I think the key challenges in today's market, though, is because of the economic uncertainty. In addition to that, there's lending aspects of it too, which I can talk about. Yes. <laughs> if you sell some property, you might not be able to be able to borrow the same amount again in order to get into an equal you know, uh, price type of assets. Um, let's just put it this way. So, you know, that that's certainly part of the consideration. But putting finance aside, you know, that just say purely looking from a data perspective, if if the if the if if my Granville property is only doing 2% capital growth annually, whereas if I, you know, if I look at a trend and I deploy somewhere in Adelaide, for example, into a house for the same type mm. of capital, that might be a better opportunity cost even though I might have to suck it up and, and sell that and take a little loss in the long in the short term. But maybe if you look at a, a long term from a 10 years perspective, I'll be very grateful about that decision that I made. Yeah. Mm. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's opportunity costs, uh, which as well. I think the other one... Oh, uh, just, sorry, David, I, I should have chimed in earlier. Just but, on opportunity costs, <clears throat> kind of hovering over that question as to... Could I get something better somewhere else? Essentially, is the opportunity cost question. There's the the cost of getting in and out, and the the barriers to entry are quite high in real estate. So, you, you you've already lost four percent on stamp duty. You'd need to sell and incur all the costs associated with that. Let's say that's two or three percent, and then you'd need to buy something else, incurring stamp duty and, and other fees. That's another four percent. Let's say. So, you you, you know changing your mind in real estate can be very expensive. So you better be sure that what you're leaving is a dud and what you're buying into is, is a better opportunity because sometimes, and unfortunately this is going to sound unprofessional, but sometimes you kind of just have to wear the mistake and um, it, it might be more profitable not to, not to get out and just chalk it up as um, education. And you're spot on, John. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I haven't sold a Granville property right. well, because of that entry and exit cost, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, the exit cost obviously, you know, involves the sales agent commissions. On top of that, yes, I'm still going to be making a profit on that property. So I will still be paying capital gains tax on that as well. On top of, in addition, if I deploy that capital to a new property, that's another 4% or even 6%, I think, from Adelaide because their stamp duty is all higher. Adding all that up, you know, can I? How long would it take for me to be able to make that return back when everything, yeah. every little bit adds up? Now it's starting to look like you know, and when you crunch the numbers, it's it's like night and day to say, okay, well maybe I should just suck it up and keep it poor. Because investing is a game of time. When you think about it in terms of time, so if you lose, let's say eight percent on getting in and out of a property, mm-hmm. you have to think about it not in terms of I've lost eight percent. I've lost two years. 
And that that's the way to think about it. So how long would it take me to make back my my two years or my my eight yeah. percent? And then I think you can you can think about what the right thing to do is. But yeah, there's there's definitely going to be mistakes for sure. And that ties in coming back again, you know, there's so much uncertainty in terms of the next few years at the moment. Mm. From economic, whether that's from an employment perspective, you know, um there's yeah, there's um there's a lot of factors to be played at here, um, which is why, you know, yeah, most people would rather carry on with the mistake rather than having to, you know, to sell and and and, and couple that cost. So yeah. Now great point. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I like all that. I think I don't think we've covered supply quite well. I think the the other couple of considerations are um, whether you bought a property with a specific objective, let's say uh, a rezoning or or something like that, or you want it to be near a piece of infrastructure, and that driver changes or gets eliminated. So let's say the council announces that they're no longer going to be considering that area for for rezoning. That would probably be a reason to sell because. Your your reason for getting in has has uh, gone in. Let's say you you buy a property near a station that you think is going to get upgraded or redeveloped, and the council or the the state government announces that they're not going to be putting that metro line through. Yes. I think there are other reasons to, to uh, consider um, selling. Uh, so I think that they're, they're the you know if circumstances change uh, in relation to why you bought it in the first place. So the I mean, and Warren Buffett talks about this. He said if the the reason you bought it um, drops away and it, it's, it's no longer the case in those instances you would consider selling and I think that that's quite fair yeah no absolutely and um I guess yeah uh the 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 immediate thought I had was uh, you know how like uh, ride council allows a lot of uh duplex building uh, fast tracking with certain frontages right so I know a lot of people scooped up that uh, a house with certain mm. frontage criteria but just imagine if uh, ride council decided to pull back on that requirement, then all of a sudden, the you know the reason for you to hold that asset is no longer there. So, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a very good. That's a good example too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, but looking at a lot of times as well, like it's um it's it's again unforeseeable circumstances to a degree, just because there's there's things that policies that you can't control. Like you know, this mm-hmm. is external factors. Um, while while you you know you, you can you can buy something for that, but it also comes down to the time frame in terms of getting this executed. Um, that's using the same analogy. Let's say, for example, you, you don't have the capital to be able to build a duplex, so you decided to hold on to that property for maybe the next five years while you accumulate mm-hmm. the capital. Who knows what could happen in the next five years yeah. if the government decided to change on that, right? So yeah. that could be another reason in terms of getting rid of this, which is, yeah, which is mm-hmm. that unfortunately doesn't, doesn't quite beat the original purpose what you yeah. intend to do. Yeah, I agree, I agree. I think there's 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 one kind of final way I think to to think about this question as well. Hmm. And it's something you mentioned at the beginning where <clears throat> let's say you've got a portfolio and and let's say it's five five properties to to make things easy. And you know you you you're considering which one to sell, maybe you have to sell. You have to sell one because of circumstances you're renovating a you know and you need you need the money. But you've you've got to sell one, and you have to choose which one to sell, right? Yes. I think that this is where a bit of portfolio analysis comes into it. So let's say you've got, so none of let's say oh let me add let me add some some spice to the question, uh, David. Let's say none of them are underperforming. Let's say they're all performing exactly as you would like to. 
I'm, I, I'm, I'll answer my own question and I want to throw it over to you for some thoughts. But in terms of like, how do you decide which one to sell? The way I would look at it then is <clears throat> what, which one do I sell that least disrupts the balance of the portfolio? So for example, if I've got four units and one house, mm -hmm. I wouldn't sell the house. I would sell one of the units. And I would do that because I, I want to maintain the balance in my portfolio and I don't want to uh, sell the thing that would re re reduce the, the the balance of the portfolio. So what if I've got two units, three, you know, two houses and one townhouse? I wouldn't sell the townhouse. Even if there's lots of equity there, I would choose something else. So I would push out possibly the 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 least scarce asset the the asset that I could probably reacquire later on if I wanted to yep. and I would hold the asset that would probably be harder to um uh, reacquire in the future so I think it would also be yeah to look at your portfolio and ask yourself uh how many of x do I have and can I afford to lose one and then how difficult would it be to reacquire that in the future uh, so that's sort of looking at them as a portfolio, even if none of them are underperforming. Uh, it was a bit of a, a brain fart, David, uh, and I, I do that from time to time, but I wanted to ask you what you thought. That was a really good, no, that was a really good example, though. I mean, I can I can chip in as well um, in terms of, so so apart from obviously keeping the balance of the, of the portfolio, um, you also need to consider the cash flow aspects of mm. assets as well don't forget at the moment you know a lot of people are struggling because the property assets are very very negatively cash flow so that means it's draining a lot of your money from your own pocket and some people might be forced to sell because of that right to to free up a bit of cash flow and and put a bit more money into the offset account so in that case then you'll be looking at which one is the most negatively geared or the one that's giving you the yeah. most negative cash flow? Because unfortunately, as much as you don't like it, you might just have to cut loose of this guy and then the rest of the, the, the cash flow would then come back into an equilibrium again. So it gives you, gives you a bit more room to breathe. That's mm. one aspect of it that I can think of. The other aspect I can think of, if, I, if I'm putting in that kind of position, I would certainly be looking at what are the future prospect that you could do to the properties. Yes. Um, so, you know, I've got properties that are units, which I can't do much. I've got properties that uh, are on corner blocks that I could potentially build granny flats mm. or subdivide later on. Then mm. the decision is quite logical. You obviously want to get rid of, um, or unfortunately, get letting go of the one that you can't potentially add more value down the track, whereas keeping the more value-add prospective players in your, in, in your portfolio. Fantastic. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, the concept of potential, where, where is the potential is such an important point. I'm going to throw one other uh, kind of fly in the ointment, one other thing we can, you know, throw it against the wall and see if the cat licks it up or whatever the analogy is. Um, sometimes you may not even have a choice because sometimes you have to sell the property that has the equity in it. So if the purpose of <clears throat> um, divesting a property is to retire debt, you can't really sell the property that you just bought three years ago that, that doesn't have that much equity. You probably have to sell uh, one of the properties at 20% LDR because there's no other way to retire debt 
uh, without selling, and it might be one of your best properties. So I wish we all had the luxury to sell the worst portfolio a property in a portfolio. Yes. But sometimes you have to sell the property that has the has the most amount of equity in it Perfect. because you're trying to retire a bunch of debt, and um, and and that's always a shame when that happens. But but these are these are you know we talked at the beginning about there being circumstances and then individual circumstances which would drive you to uh, sell a property and attributes of the property that would want you to get rid of it. And there's also, it's a complex thing. There's all sorts of reasons why you need to get rid of a property. And sometimes you you don't always get to sell the property that you want to sell. You have to sell uh, perhaps one of the better ones. Mm. No, I, I, I totally agree with you on that, John. I think, yeah, a lot of times, you know, there's depending on acquisition cost, depending on the equity position, as you said, you might not have an option to choose yeah. which one to sell, but, you know, um, certainly the one to sell that can cover the cost plus giving you a bit more back yeah. as well. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, very, very valid points, John. Um, so I think that we cover pretty much the main three reasons, uh, supply, opportunity, cost, as well as properties that could have changed purpose and no longer meets the expectations and what we want. Um, let's briefly touch on the change of unforeseeable circumstances. So under what sort of personal circumstances would you be needing to sell an asset. Well, in those in in those personal circumstances, it would be um, that the, there are three D's, and I'm I can only remember two of them. But there's there's uh, death, divorce, and something else starting with D. But th- they would. <laughs> I used to, I used to work for an oh, auctioneer company. Yeah. So so um yeah yeah. So if there's a, a death. You know, you'd, there'd, be, there'd be a sale of assets. Then, if there's a divorce, you'd need there'd be a sale of assets. And these are circumstances. But if you're referring to other circumstances, like with zoning and stuff like that, are you, or personal circumstances? Look, I think we we just uh, briefly touch on the personal circumstance, except for the last D. <laughs> last D, I can't remember. Last D. Yeah, last D. yeah. So so that those sorts of things. Um, uh, there, there are other things like you, you know uh, retirement sneering and you, you want to sell property so you can uh, retire the debt. Uh, there could be other things like there's a big expenditure like you, you'd like to rebuild a house or you'd like to renovate a property so that there's a big unforeseen expense or even a foreseen expense uh, that you'd like to, and then you you know you need to sell a, a property to pay for that. So there's there's a, there's a bunch of reasons. Um, one of the things I love about property just to sort of zoom right out is property gives you choices. Yes. Although, having said that, when yeah. you look at selling every time, John, it does take time as mm. well, right? Um, you're, you're not talking about, we're not talking about shares. Like, you know, properties are not liquidity assets at all. They're not liquid. So, you know, it takes mm. at least, you know, from start to finish, I don't know, um, say roughly two to three months. And that's on a good run, um, you know, yeah. from from basically initially engaging a solicitor to draft up the contract, engaging sales agents to do a market appraisal, Sometimes you've got to do staging as well, marketing, all that stuff until the time that it actually settles. That could that process could take anywhere between eight weeks to three months, um, depending on how yeah. quickly you want to move. Right. So yeah. So, you know, if you're in a dire straight situation needing that fund quickly, yes, it's probably not, you know, it's probably not the um not, not uh, Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right, look, John. Anything else you want to add? I guess uh, under what other circumstances would? Uh... Oh, I would say try not to sell. I mean, I, I, I'm firmly of that sort of. Uh, I've described myself as old-fashioned in the past, but 
you know, if you can, if you can uh, avoid selling and, you know, try to, to, to plan as much as you can, I mean, that would be ideal, but there are going to be times when, when you need to sell, there are going to be times that assets underperform. Uh, and uh, it's always a shame when that happens, but, uh, but we're all grown ups here and, uh, and sometimes we have to do what we have to do, but uh, um, very interesting. I, I found this to be very nuanced. I mean, I, I've been on read forums about uh, when to sell, and they're all very adamant about when a property is a dud. But this was a far more nuanced conversation about like uh, yes. choices and um, and when you don't have choices and so on. So I thought I thought this was a really good chat. Really good chat. Likewise, likewise. All right. Thanks, John. I think that's another another good discussion that we had. So uh, we'll leave it at that on that note. And uh, uh, and uh, yeah, listeners, thank you again for joining us uh, on another Friday. And um, you know, as always, uh, this is just uh, our opinions today. Uh, certainly, please do not take it as uh, as uh, as specific advice. Uh, you do need to seek professionals uh, for those. And um, until next time, we'll see you again in another episode of Spark Your Fire. John and David. If you have any questions or feedback about today's episode, you can reach out to us through sparkyourfirepodcast at gmail.com. That's sparkyourfirepodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Also, the content discussed in this episode is general in nature. Please seek specific advice from qualified professionals in regards to your personal situation.